The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. As Joe said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 14 today. Um, when you came in, you there's one of these on every other seat. And something that would really help us out is to understand how people within our church body are, are accessing the Bible on Sunday mornings. Um, we've gone, I meant to bring my study guide up here with me, um, but we've, we've printed off the study guides that we've, that we've done over the last several series where we've actually put the biblical text in the booklet. Um, we use uh, UVersion, uh, create events for Sunday mornings. You can follow along just regularly in UVersion. Uh, of course, uh, we sometimes put texts on the screen and then you have your paper Bible. And one of the things that we're trying to do as we go into 2023 is determine, like, what are the best ways that we can help resource our body? And it may be a combination of all of these things. So we're just asking you this morning, um, and we're going to do this over the next month. So next week when we ask you this, if you've already done this, we don't want you to do it again. But if you would just take a minute um, and let us know, like, like how do you prefer to read the Bible um, during the 1015. Rank the one that you use the most with the number one, the one that you use the least with the number five, and you can just put them in the wooden boxes as you exit today. But this is really important for us. Um, we're doing uh, at least, we're actually doing three different uh, Bible book series next year. And one of the things that we're trying to consider is um, what's the best way to equip our body? And my hunch is um, there's going to be a lot of things that are even, and we're going to keep doing all of these. Um, but we want you to let us know what, what you're using the most and how you're learning and growing the most. Um, and I also want to say uh, we are so appreciative. Last month was Pastor Appreciation Month, and you have blessed us in lots of ways. We had people bring food to us. We Each of the pastors received cards and gifts and letters, and that was really that was really encouraging. But what I want to do is I just want to show my appreciation to you. One of the things that occurred to me last Sunday as Pastor Zane was up here speaking, um, just, how, just how much change that our church body has gone through in terms of pastors um, over the last few years. And the thing that struck me was is just how gracious and patient you are with our pastors, including myself being here for a little bit more than five years, and like letting us learn and grow into our position. Um, that takes a lot of patience on your part as we all try and find our voice and understand who we are as pastors and the way that we communicate. And last week when Zane was up here, I was just like, man, he did such a fantastic job in talking about Romans 13. Um, I love the way he talked about the text. It's been so cool to see somebody who's, who's not just new to Westway, but somebody who's new to ministry um, really in, in, the, in a period of a year and in just three or four times talking and teaching in front of our body to see how much growth um, he's gone through. And I was just really encouraged by that. And I'm thankful for you because you make that um, possible. Today we're talking through Romans chapter 14, and I want to encourage you to remember, remember the lens that we are viewing the last several chapters of Romans 14 in. And we find that lens in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So this is the lens. This is the way we're looking at the rest of Romans. And Paul wrote, wrote this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is, the tr this is truly the way to worship you. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And we talked about that. This is the lens and we asked the question, so how does God transform us? What does this process look like? What does God do? What do we do? We talked about how we're not, we're not passive. We actually, we're passively active. We allow God to do something, but when we allow God to do it, that's an act on our part. There's something that we are doing. We are the people who are being transformed. And then the rest of chapter 12 sounds an awful lot like a bunch of external behaviors, right? And we're not, if we're not careful, what we do is we turn, we turn the Bible into this, into this list of moral do's and don'ts. These are all the good behaviors I'm supposed to do. These are all the bad behaviors I'm supposed to avoid. And then that might lead us to think like, so there's going to be a day when I die and I'm standing before God. There's going to be this giant set of scales. And on one side are all the things that I did wrong. And on the other side are all the things that I did right. And, and I, want, I want that things that I did right, just, as long as it's more than what I've done wrong, then I'm going to be okay. But that's not the gospel. Okay, that's not how the gospel works. We're not judged because of our morality. We're judged on what God is doing in our hearts and how we respond to that. And how we're going to respond is going to be an acts of service. That's going to be the transformation that Paul is talking about. And these things that Paul is talking to us about as Christians, we have to understand that, that these aren't suggestions for us. Sometimes we approach the Bible and we read it and we see it like, oh, God really wants me to do this and it would be a good thing for me to do this and I would be a better person if I do this. It's kind of like sometimes the way we view a speed limit sign, right? It's a suggestion. Suggested speed, 65 miles an hour. No, it's the speed limit. It is. God's word is not a suggestion for us. God's word is not meant to be taken like, like when it's convenient. I read these things, and if I feel like it, if I want to do it, if I wake up on the right side of the bed, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow these instructions. I'm going to live in the way that God wants me to. See, God tells us that the Christian life requires a willing, continual sacrifice of who we are. Continual, willing sacrifice. This is a lifestyle and these things are not optional. For us as Christians, these things are not optional. For us as a, as a church body, these things are not optional. For us as Westway Christian Church, the way that God is calling us to live is it's not optional. If we are going to claim that we are followers of Jesus inside or outside of this place, this isn't an optional lifestyle for us. But this isn't just about like internal obedience and personal ethics or integrity, this, this transformation that God is doing to us is going to impact and affect the way we view, um, we view authority. And this is what Zane talked about last week. See, we are to view as Christians, as people who are being transformed by God, we are to view authority in a different way than the world does. And we had a lot of conversation about this in our small group this week about what's the role of Christians in responding to authority. And the reality for us is we are to submit to authority, not, not merely if they're trying to murder and persecute Christians, but especially when they are out to murder and persecute you. See, this was the, this was the situation in Rome. 
Paul isn't writing some hypothetical thing for them to do. He's telling them to submit to the authorities over you. And then he goes one further. He says, and actually what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to pay the taxes that are, that are contributing to your persecution. You're supposed to pay for your persecution. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like who would do that? Christians. The people that God is talking to in Rome. We talked about this. I talked about this a few weeks ago in a different study that I was doing. I was thinking about like the Christians in Rome. And this phrase kind of came out of my, came out of my mouth. Jen Dillinger knows what I'm about to say. Like we were talking kind of about what was happening in Rome. And I said, well, these Christians essentially, like they're on the Death Star. The Christians in Rome are on the Death Star. And what, and what Paul is telling the Christians in Rome who are on the Death Star is submit to the authority of the government over you. Pay for their weapons. Pay for that giant main gun that destroys planets if you're familiar with Star Wars. Pay for that. Oh, and by the way, they might destroy your own planet and you're supposed to pay for that. And this sounds so backwards to us. This sounds so offensive to us. This doesn't make any sense to us because the Christians in Rome are, are being persecuted and they're chafing at this. And he knows that his people have this long history of rebelling against the government. Just read the Old Testament. So he's writing this message and about 15 years later, Rome is going to go into Jerusalem. They're going to lay siege to it. They're going to burn the temple. They're going to destroy it. And what Paul is saying is, look, if you, if you don't submit to this authority, that, that sword that they're wielding is not a ceremonial sword. If you, if you don't submit to them, they are going to utterly destroy you. And the only way that we can submit to an authority like the one in Rome is if we're inwardly transformed. That's why, that's why some of us, when we, when we hear a message like the one Zane gave last week, or what I'm kind of recapping about submission to authorities right now, the part of you that's like really uncomfortable with this, and you're asking about all, like the yeah, what about? Yeah, what about? Yeah, what about? Yeah, what about? It might be because you're not inwardly transformed. I'd like for you to consider that. And I want to add, because it's election week, Zane skipped over this. I'm not going to. He's new. He's not going to talk about those really heavy things. I don't really care. I'm going to add a plausibility structure to the ones we talked about a few weeks ago. And here's the plausibility structure that I'm going to add. This election is the most important election in history. And if we don't elect the right person, our country is going to be destroyed. Don't we fall for that? Don't we, don't we believe that? And the thing that I want to remind you of is what we talked about in Revelation last year. Every nation eventually becomes Babylon. Every nation does. And every nation eventually is going to be destroyed. And, and we should work to slow it down. Please do not hear me say that we shouldn't be involved in the democratic process. We should. I voted on Tuesday. I got the sticker to prove it. I didn't post it online, though. Okay? I voted. We get to participate in our government. We should participate in our government if that is your conviction. And we're going to talk more about that one in a second. Like we get to participate in our government. This is a good thing for us to do. But the reality of it is, is we don't owe anything to anyone, as Zane talked about, except for our obligation to love one another. This is what we're called to do. We are called 
to love one another, to be in relationship with one another. And if you've ever spent more than 48 hours with a single person, you know how hard that is. I have this thing called the 48-hour rule. I would take students on mission trips or to CIY or summer camp, and it only took 48 hours for me to figure out who that student really was. Right? All of their little annoyances that they managed to cover up, within 48 hours, I was going to know who they were. And that worked for adults, too. Like, I knew who adults were in 48 hours. If you've ever spent time with somebody, you know who they are within 48 hours. And what we're, being, what we're seeing happen here in Rome is these two groups of people who have very different backgrounds, very different spiritual experiences. They're being, they're being encouraged to be together in the same physical space, and that's bound to cause problems. So Paul says this. This is Romans 14. We're going to read all of Romans 14, and then we're going to talk about it. Here's Romans 14. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Let that one sink in for a minute. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, every one of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide to get instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it, it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if, you, and if another believer is distressed about what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. 
Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. See, I told you that these next several chapters are going to be really challenging for us to hear. This is pointing right at us. And what we can see is, is when people live apart from the Spirit, what they do is they make their life about their own power and privilege. When people live apart from the Spirit, they make their lives about themselves. And it's seemingly, based on what we've been reading in the book of Romans, it, it seems like it's all the people in Rome care about. These, this group has this preferences. This group has their set of preferences. They have these convictions. This is how they think they should live. And the issue is, is, is they're taking their own issues and they're starting, to, they're starting to give them more weight than they need to. What the Jews are saying is, Gentiles, you ought to live like us. What the Gentiles are saying is, Jews, you ought to live like us. And Paul is like, you guys are getting this all wrong. You don't understand what's going on here. I love the way he begins the text. He says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. What I love about that is the implication that the people he's writing to, they all think they're the mature ones. And isn't that truth of us? In any situation where you are talking to someone about a matter of faith, when you're talking about a matter of your conviction, when you're talking about a matter of your preference, don't you think you're mature, more mature than the other person? Automatically, don't you default to your position is automatically the correct one? So Paul knows this and he's talking to them that way. So you guys, you all think you're the mature ones in the room. And what I'm telling you is accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them. Well, we ought to stop for a second and ask a question. Well, well how do we decide? There are some translations that, that use the phrase disputable matters. Don't argue with them about disputable matters. So what's a disputable matter? What's something that is not as important versus something that is important? A couple weeks ago, Joe and I watched a, watched a webinar. It was about teaching theology in the church. We're going to talk a little bit more about this um, next year. But they break down like church teachings into three different categories. The first category is essentials. The second category is convictions. And the third category is preferences. Okay, so we have essentials, convictions, and preferences. So I'm going to use an example. I'm going to use an example of scripture for a moment. So here's an essential teaching um, for a Christian when it comes to the Bible. And this is what we believe. This is, our, this is an essential. We believe God inspired the original writings of scripture and, scripture and they were consequently without error. It's an essential if you're a Christian, you believe that God inspired the original writings and, and they are without error. That's an essential. Well, then we have a conviction about that. And conviction then begins some room for a little bit of discussion and conversation for us. It's our conviction 
here at Westway that the, that a primary way God transforms people by the renewing of their mind is through this book. This is, this is a conviction of ours. And what's going to happen then, because this is a conviction of ours, we're going to spend 47 to 48 minutes every single week talking about this book. So if you've ever wondered, why do we spend 47 to 48 minutes every single week talking about this book? This is why, because we believe that this book has the power to transform your life into the person that Jesus has called you to be. It's, it's my story. It's the reason we do this. It's the reason we talk about this. Because this is our conviction. There's a little wiggle room. Perhaps you'd prefer, which will be our third category in a second, perhaps you'd prefer to go to a church where they talk less about this. That's cool. There are other places in town where they talk for 30 minutes. You can go to that church and hear a 30-minute sermon. It's great. I love it. I believe that 30-minute 30 30 sermons can transform you. But I, I don't know how to do that in 30 minutes, so we'll just trust this. Okay? But this is our conviction. Then when it comes to preference, so a preference, my preference in reading the Bible is to use the New Living Translation. That's my preference. I have lots of reasons actually for my preference because I stand up here most weeks of the year and I'm the one who reads it. I find the, the New Living Translation tends to flow vocally than several other translations that I also like, that I have, that I have in my home and I have in my office and I read every week when I prepare a message. This is just my preference. And I know that this is not your preference. And what's great is, is we don't have, we don't determine for you what is an essential Bible translation that you have to use at Westway Christian Church. So you're free to use the ESV or the NIV or the KGV or any of the other 40 million English translations. Like you are free to use that because we have a preference. Okay, and we're not going to get into a big argument about preferences. All that to say, Paul in Romans 14 is not talking about essential things. He's not talking about things that ultimately matter. What Paul is talking about are convictions and preferences. And this is where Paul is going to spend his time teaching. He's going to talk about convictions and preferences. And the reason he's going to do that, because I think this is what's happening in Rome. Because we are sinners. It is really easy for us to take our preferences and our convictions and make them essentials. It's really easy for us as Christians to take the things that, that, that we really care about, like the, the translation or the version of the Bible, and then we, we want to make that an essential. Well, you're reading, because you're not reading this version, you're not reading the right Bible. The right Bible is this Bible. See, when you, when you do that and you put that on me, you're making something an essential that's not an essential. And it's so easy for us to do that, and that's what's happening here in Rome. And what Paul does is he uses two examples. He talks about food, and he talks about days of the week. Now, on the surface, these, these seem like really kind of silly examples, don't they? Like, why would, talk about, why would Paul talk about food and days of the week? Well, because if, if you've been reading through the book of Romans with us, one of the things that we see 
is the arguments, the primary arguments between the Jewish faction within the church, and that's even the problem right there is they have factions. The Jewish faction within the church and the Gentile faction within the church are around three different topics. They're around food, they're around the Sabbath, and they're around circumcision, which Paul does not mention here. So what Paul's going to do, because Paul understands what's happening in Rome, he's going to talk about the thing that's, that's, that's dividing them. And the thing that's dividing them is food issues. Because the Jews wanted to stick to the laws about diet. And then what they started to do, and I think we can kind of infer this from the text, is they add to the Jewish rules. Because what he says is, there are, basically there are some of you that, that only are eating vegetables. So we have the Jewish law where, you're, where there's kosher things and there are some meats I'm allowed to eat. There are a lot of meats I'm not allowed to eat. I'm supposed to do this. But what these particular Jews have likely done is in their mind, because meat is so bad, now we're only going to eat vegetables. And don't you love it when we add to the law? We know what God calls us to, but in our morality and in our self-righteousness, we feel like we have to add to it. Because God's law is not enough, so we have to add to it. And I wonder how holy those people felt because not only are we keeping the Jewish food laws, but we've, we're, we're not even eating any meat. Look how holy we are. Look how right we must be before God. And Paul is, Paul is like, why are you sitting in judgment over one another because of food? Why are you, why are you causing all of these problems in the church because of the food that you're eating. I love it. You are no one's master in this area of life. Have you ever tried to be the Holy Spirit for somebody else? Have you ever tried to do that more than once? Have you ever tried to do that over an extended period of time? It doesn't work out too well, does it? See, we are, we are not the master of other people's lives when it comes to things like convictions and preferences. It's really, not, it's really not our business. Whether someone eats something or doesn't eat something, it's not my business. And here's the second issue, and again, it's about the Sabbath. It's about the days of the week. And I love what Paul says about this. He says, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. And I think here's what Paul is saying. If you're going to pick a food, which one you eat or you don't eat, if you're going to pick a day, which one you honor more highly than another day, here's what you ought to do. You ought to know why you believe what you believe. What you ought to do is you ought to be fully convinced that whatever you choose is acceptable. I've had so many conversations with, with Christians over the years, like, that have, all of these, that have all of these preferences and convictions and they've turned into an essential and they couldn't tell you a single reason why. They've, they've never actually done the work. I've heard, this, I've heard this example, maybe you've heard it before. There was, this, there was this church that had a communion table up front and every Sunday morning um, before they would have, um, when they would bring the communion elements out, they would cover it with like a, with a, with like a white sheet. Every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. And somebody said, um, I have a question. Why do we cover the communion elements with a sheet? And the person that was doing it was like, well, my mother did this before I did it. So let me ask her. 
So she asked her mom, well, my, you know, my mom did that. And, and that, of course, went back a few generations. And here's what they found. They like found the person that started that. And what they found was in this church, they initially met outside. And what they wanted to do when they put the communion out was they didn't want flies to get in the communion. And what they did was they put a sheet over it so that wouldn't happen. And they had all this tension over the churches because you can't have communion set out without, without it being covered. Right? So why, why do we believe the things that we believe? Why do you believe the things that you believe? For the things that you've decided are right or wrong. Why? Have you, have you done the research? Have you studied it? See, this is our job. I got a text from somebody. I thought I could just end my work week on Thursday when I got this text. This person sends me a text says, hey, I have a question about this, but I don't want you to tell me the answer. I want you to tell me in scripture where I can find it so I can research it for myself. Seriously, I saw that text. I'm like, I'm done for the day. Like, I got, this is a good day. So we want to, we want to learn. We want to understand. When's the last time you've studied what the scriptures have to say about alcohol? When's the last time you've studied what the scriptures have to say about marriage and divorce? Or women's roles in the church? Or human sexuality? Or, or any of the things that divide us, that split us? When's the last time you've done the work? Because the Bible talks about every single one of those things. God wants us to be fully convinced and whether it's an essential or a preference or a conviction, you ought to know why you believe what you believe. You, you owe that to yourself. You owe it to the people who, are, who believe differently than you. How did you come to that conclusion? I had a conversation with somebody this week who, who didn't vote on Tuesday. We were able to have a conversation about that. And because it was this person's conviction, like I can disagree with it. Or I can agree with it. You don't know. You don't know who it is. But I'm not going to put something on them. Because it turns out they had a pretty good reason. And that's their, that's their conviction. That's their preference. Who do we think we are to argue about these things? This is what Paul is telling us in this text. Who do we think we are? See, Paul says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. You know what it doesn't say? We're all going to stand, sit, kneel between, before the judgment seat of John. None of you would survive. Like, I wouldn't survive. If I was before your judgment seat, I wouldn't survive, would I? Would your neighbor survive? Is the person who pulls out in front of you in the morning on your way over here, is that person going to survive your judgment seat? See, God is our judge. We're going to be before God's judgment seat. And then he says this, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And see, again, he uses, he uses food as his example. If someone has a conviction about the rightness or wrongness of food, it's just that. It's just a conviction. They don't need my approval they don't need my disappointment that they don't like the same foods that I do. 
or that they've decided that they're not going to eat some foods. They don't need my approval and they don't need your approval. They don't need my disapproval either. In fact, if someone has a conviction like this, what, what I ought to do, I suggest that Paul is suggesting for us is we should just keep our mouth shut. Like, why are we having this conversation? Why are we, why are we doing this? And I love Paul's words here. He says, essentially, if someone is truly bothered by what I eat or what I don't eat, if, if I'm causing them to stumble as the mature person, and again, we're all the mature person, you know what I should not do? I shouldn't eat it. I should subordinate, I should submit what I want to do for someone else. See, as the mature person, I should take the first step. This is my job as the mature person. And because everyone thinks they're a mature person, what we're going to see is this crazy thing like mutual submission where we're going to submit to one another and we're going to have to figure that out and it's going to be really hard and it's going to be really difficult. But here's the thing, as, as, because this is about preferences and convictions, because this is really about are you, are you causing me trouble? Like if I don't like the fact that you eat green beans, I can't just walk up to you and be like, you know what, I don't like the fact that you eat green beans. And because it's my preference, what the Bible says is you have to subordinate yourself to me and you're not allowed to eat green beans. That's not the way this works. This is about, is it truly causing someone to sin? Like, I know that there are people in this room who, who have alcohol issues. So let's get real practical. Here's what that means. If I'm, if I'm around someone who has an issue with alcohol, you know what I shouldn't do? I shouldn't open up a beer and be like, freedom in Christ. Nothing you can do about it. That's not how this works. What I should do is I, I should subordinate my will. I should subordinate my rights and not do something. And I have, as a person who maybe struggles with alcohol, here's where that mutual submission comes in. As a person who struggles with alcohol, you know what you can't do? You can't come up to someone and say, I really wish you wouldn't drink beer in, in, the, in the comfort of your own home when no one else is around. See, what Paul tells us is, is this is about God. This is about making decisions and choices and, and preferences and convictions that are based on the reality of who God is. And what Paul is not telling the church in Rome is to go to your separate corners. Go, maybe, maybe the Jews should meet at this time in the house and the Gentiles should meet at this time in the house. That way they never come together. And, and that's the world's way, right? To decide that we're not going to fight with each other. That's the world's way to separate. What Paul is doing is he's calling them to be together. He's telling them that they have a mission and a purpose. He's telling them that their, their love for one another is, is going to be a demonstration of the gospel. And before the followers of Christ can, can take that message outside of the church, of being included, where does it have to start? That's to start inside the church. See, a person who wasn't a believer ought to have been able to go into any one of these Roman churches and be like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense to me. You're saying that 
you don't eat certain kinds of foods and you eat certain kind of foods and you're okay with them and you're okay with them? How does that happen? Answer, God. Because, because this is a preference, because this is a conviction, because our unity, the things that, that, we are, that we are united on from an essential standpoint is more important than my convictions or my preferences of whether or not they're eating green beans. Like, I hate green beans. I think they're the worst thing in the world. But if they want to eat them, more power to them, I think it's great. Because maybe you like green beans. You're welcome to come into this church too. Maybe you don't like green beans. No one's going to make you eat green beans. This is the church. This is the, the body that God is calling us to be. And here's the third thing Paul says. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. My guess is that there are literally dozens, if not hundreds of things that we could be in disagreement on in this room on a Sunday morning. And my guess is and my hunch is that the vast majority of them are about convictions and preferences and not essentials. And as Christians, our, our job is to aim for unity and harmony within the church. This chapter is not just about, um, is not just about foods and days. We talked about this on, on Monday in our elder conversation about this text. It's not just about food and days. It's about lots of things. But it is not about everything. See, there are essentials in Christianity that we have to hold to and we can't have any room on. We can't have any differences in the way that we approach those things. These are the things that we cling to. You'll find the essentials that, that we believe here at Westway Christian Church, you'll find them on our website. And what's, what's interesting, and this, this was kind of the fruit of the conversation that Joe and I talked about, this webinar that we watched about teaching theology. Like as soon as we were done with this webinar, we went to go see what our website said about the theology that we, that we hold as a church. And like, I'm so embarrassed about this, but it's really weak. Like some of the things it says, especially like the one about Bible, I read it and I looked at Joe and I'm like, we believe way more about the Bible than just that. We believe way more about the Holy Spirit than just that. So what I'm excited about is, is we're going to actually do something about that. We don't want to just... We don't want to just see the things that we're, that we're failing in or that we have shortcomings in and then just not, not do anything about it, right? Like, we want to do something about it. Several months ago, I, I shared with you that our, our elders and our pastors were having this conversation about communion. And it wasn't about were we going to do communion or were we not going to do communion. It was a matter of, like, what does the Bible say about communion? When's the last time we actually read and studied to see what the Bible has to say about communion? We challenged you. We provided some texts for you. You'll still see them in you version. Like when's the last time you determined to see what the Bible has to say about communion? And we kind of went around the room. Um, and with one exception, of course, it was Dave Robinson. Um, with one exception, like just about every other one of us in the room were like, you know, I've never really done that before. So we said we should do something about that. So we spent like five or six weeks um, talking about communion. What does the Bible have to say about communion? And there was discussion, and I'm going to use the word disagreement, and I don't want you to read too much into that. 
There was healthy discussion. Nobody screamed and yelled. Nobody got up and ran out and slammed the door behind them. But there was, like we talked about it. Because we'd read a text and we would talk about it. And we had disagreement. Because like I said, when you put a whole bunch of people in a room together who have different backgrounds and different understandings, there's going to be disagreement. We didn't, we didn't wiggle around that. As Christians, I would encourage you when you have disagreement, don't wiggle around it. It's okay to disagree. So we read, we talked about communion. And then I told you that something that I wanted us to do as a leadership group is every year, like we should pick a topic. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do we do this? And next year, our topic's going to be like, what are the essentials? Why do we believe the things that we believe? What are the essentials? What do we really believe about Scripture? What do we really be, believe about God as Father? And the reason we want to do that is because we want to know why we believe what we believe. And we want you to know why you believe what you believe. And see, these essentials are worth, are worth understanding for us as a church and as leaders because everything that we do comes from those essentials. We don't start with our preferences. We did not start with my preferences, the NLT. It's not, it's not how this works. My preference is we don't do communion in the way that we do communion. Like, that's not how that works. We, we want to start with what the essential is. What does the Bible tell us? And then we're going to begin to weave those essentials in on Sunday mornings. So that you can have, a, can have a theological understanding of why we believe what we believe. Why do we teach what we believe? Every once in a while, we'll probably throw a conviction in there. We might throw a preference in there. But here's the thing. We're not going to bind you by that preference. We're not going to tell you, you all have to go out and do this thing because this is what we prefer. And I want you to know that this concept of aiming for unity is going to retire time, effort, and energy on our part. It's going to be hard. It's going to demand our constant attention. It's going to demand humility from us. In Romans, or excuse me, in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 7, Paul writes this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united with the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called the one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he's given each one of us a special gift to the generosity of Christ. See, when I read Ephesians chapter 4, I, like, I think those are our essentials. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then he says he's given each one of us the use of a special gift. We've talked about this phrase before. See, we are called as Christians to be in unity, but not in uniformity. And what that means is we have different gifts. There are going to be different ways that God manifests himself to us and through us to other people. And we don't all have the same gift. We are to be unity, uni, unified, but not in uniformity. 
Because the way we are with one another, as my friend Rick Lawrence likes to say, the way we are with one another is a proclamation of the gospel. The way we are with one another, the way we promote unity is a proclamation of the gospel. My favorite thing Zane said last week was this. We learn how to submit to God by submitting to the authorities God has placed over us. Love that phrase so much. I'm going to say this. We learn how to love God by first loving those within the community of believers that God has placed us. If we want to know what loving God looks like, we are to love one another. And we don't get to be the preference police over other people's preferences, over what kind of music they listen to, what kind of car they drive, what kind of job they have, what kind of clothes they wear. Like, we don't get to be the preference police. We're called for so much more. I love 1 John 4, 19 to 22. John writes this. We love each other because he first, he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. See, we are only going to do this well when we throw the totality of ourselves onto the altar and sacrifice ourselves. When we give up all of the things that we hold dearly to, not the essentials. But when we give up our preferences and our convictions, when we give up our wants and our desires, our time and our energy and our bank accounts and all of those things. Like this is what it looks like. This is what God is calling us to as Christians is to give of ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves for the good of other people. And he doesn't do this because he's selfish or cruel. God does this because, because he wants us to mimic the example of his son, Jesus. God isn't asking us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. I have one more text for you. It's from Philippians 2, and it will be familiar to some of you. Paul writes this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the knee of Jesus, or that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God is only asking us to do what He did. And the amazing thing is, is our death, our sacrifice, it's not going to save anyone. But our sacrifice is going to point to the one who saves everyone. The way we live our lives is going to be a revelation to a world to see what true love looks like through Jesus Christ. And I just have two questions for you. Is your life a reflection of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? When 
when others see you? Is your life a reflection of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And here's the second one. Have you made the decision to give all of yourself to this mission? All of yourself. Not keeping back something because you don't want God to have that or maybe God, you th- maybe you think God doesn't know about it. But if you made that decision to sacrifice all of yourself, and my, my, I guess I have three questions. What are you waiting for? What part of your life are you waiting to sacrifice? Are you waiting to put on the altar? Because we are surrounded by people who need this salvation. We are surrounded by people who need to see this example. They need to see it in us. Let's pray. God, this morning, I pray that we would, that we would simply be united around things that matter and not judge others over things that don't. And there are a lot of things that matter. And there are a lot of things that don't. I pray that you would look that you would evaluate our hearts, that you would search our hearts and reveal to us what are the things that we are allowing to divide? What are the things that we are allowing to separate when your desire for us is unity? It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen.